Amen. Well, take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you're visiting today, it is our normal habit to, to walk through books of the Bible. I finished the book of Philippians, and Lord willing, here in a few weeks, I'll begin the book of Joshua. But we are in a little season here where we're looking at our mission, our method, just who we are as a church. So if you are visiting, this is a great day for you to be with us. And we're going to find ourselves once again in Ephesians chapter 4. As you're turning there, let me just take a moment and just uh, give a personal thanks to you. So many of you were so kind to reach out to us and to, to pray for us this week. My father passed away on Monday morning. Uh, last week, uh, on Sunday morning, we knew it was getting close. We didn't know how close. And uh, I was feeling fine all morning. And then Ryan sang Rock of Ages. When's the last time you sang Rock of Ages? I mean, I haven't sang Rock of Ages in 20 years and uh, the last verse came, which says, When I draw this fleeting breath, when mine eyes shall close in death, when I saw, soar to worlds unknown and see thee on thy judgment throne, rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. We started singing that, and I turned to Andrea and said, I'm about to lose it. And I was. And then I regained a kind of composure, and then we sang that choir special. And you notice by the time I got up here, I, I didn't think I could make it. And uh, I took a moment and did, but uh, the truth is, is... Uh, God was really gracious to us, and so many of you have prayed, and I just, I just thank you. You know, one of the things we love the most about Prince, and uh, I'm not just saying this because most of you are related, this really does feel like family. <laughs> and we felt that, and we loved that. My brothers and I were joking. My father was in the ministry for 60 years, and it was just like him to die on a Monday morning so I wouldn't miss a Sunday. Um, <laughs> But, uh, I, 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 you know, honestly, in a moment like this, this is, there's no place I'd rather be. I love this church. I love you, and it's great to be here. And uh, i just thankful for your kind. Thank, uh, thank you for your, for your kindness and, and prayers to us. You know, I, I've spent most of my Christian life uh, just trying to figure out how this thing works. Personally, I could walk through the stories of all through college and even high school going through my parents' bookshelves and finding books on the Christian life and going to the Christian bookstore and just hoping that I might find one book that helps explain this thing to me. I mean, I, I knew I had been saved into it. I believed I was a follower of Jesus Christ. I just wasn't really sure how it worked. And, and then I become a pastor, and now I not only have to figure it out for myself, I, I kind of need to figure it out for you. The last thing you want is a pastor that doesn't know how this thing works. And I've spent a lot of time trying to figure that out, just... Asking the simple question, how do we make spiritual progress? I mean, how is it that we grow as disciples of Jesus Christ? We've already talked about it. The moment you become a Christian is the moment you become a disciple. You're not a good one, but you're a disciple. And the rest of our life is trying to learn how to be a good disciple, how to walk with Jesus, trust him more, follow him more. One of the things that I have discovered is this, is there are really three key factors in spiritual growth. There is God, there is you, and there is the church. Philippians 1.6 tells us that God is working in us. He who began a good work will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so behind the scenes, in ways that you do not understand, and frankly ways that you never could understand, God is working in your life. You have to know this. That God is orchestrating your circumstances, the good ones and the bad ones. He's orchestrating all of the joys. He's orchestrating all of the suffering. And anything, even that the devil means to harm you, all goes through the gracious and loving hand of God. His loving kindness never ceases. 
God is working on you. He's got a plan for you. And in a way that you will never know, God is orchestrating things in your life to grow you into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. God is working. But you have a role in this too. We don't just passively step back and expect God to do all the work. We do, as 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Yes, God is working on you, but you must work as well. Philippians 2.12 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You're not working it in. You're not working to become a Christian. But once you're a Christian, this takes work. Like you, you have to discipline yourself to wake up in the morning and read your Bible and spend time with the Lord. I'll never forget meeting a guy on the mission field. And I said, man, tell me about your time with the Lord. And he says, well, I just trust the Lord to wake me up whenever he thinks I need to get up. And I remember thinking, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like it kind of sounds spiritual, and then you think about it and realize, no, it's actually just lazy. You discipline yourself. You put some work into this thing. God has saved you not because of works, but he has saved you into good works. We read that in Titus 3. This thing, this, this process of spiritual growth takes some work. And so God's working, you're working, and the one we often forget is this, that the church is working. The church exists for your protection, for your encouragement, for your accountability, to give you some direction in your life. And, and I would say, as we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, it could be that the church plays a bigger role than you might imagine. We saw this last week from Ephesians chapter 4. It gives us this picture of God saving you individually and then gathering you corporately. And as he saves you and then gathers you, he gifts you, every single individual person, given gifts. And then he puts you in a church that exists to guide you in understanding your gifts and working out your gifts and learning who you are and giving you a place to serve. All of that happens in the context of the church. And then it says this, as you grow, the church grows. You say, how is it that the church grows when individual members of the body grow? That's what Ephesians 4 tells us, that the church plays a role in this. Now, let me read that for us again. Ephesians chapter 4, look with me as I read verses 1 through 16. If you're there in Ephesians 4, say amen. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And now he's going to say what that looks like. What does it look like to walk with the Lord? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This written to a local church. Saying as a church, this is how you're to interact with one another. It says there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But... Grace, which is really a reference to a gift, was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. The picture is Christ ascending and dispersing sovereignly, individually gifts to the church. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? The Christ who came down is the one who ascended. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11. 
And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints. A word that means to to bring to completion, to guide them to maturity. For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. That's the goal, all of us reaching maturity. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that... We may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, but by human cunning, he says, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which is equipped, When each part, this is every member of the church, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's very clear from Ephesians 4, and I could take you to numbers of other places and make the case for you that a primary part of your spiritual growth is dependent upon your involvement in the local church. You must be a part, an active, engaged part of a local church in order for God to fulfill his purposes in you. You've heard me say it a thousand times. You don't have to be a member of this church, but you better find you a gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church that is concerned about your spiritual growth. Because this is a primary way in which God intends to grow you. And Ephesians 4 is clear that you grow in the context of the local church. And as you grow, the church begins to grow. But the the question the church needs to answer is this, is how do we help you grow? I mean, how is it that the church guides you into making spiritual progress? Is there any any plan for this? I mean, are we just kind of inviting you to stuff and hoping something works? Let me just say this. The answer to this question, listen, is not just more church and more programs. I think a lot of you can acknowledge that more church doesn't always make more spiritual growth. More church doesn't always mean spiritual progress. Now let me tell you something. I love love church. I love going to church. I love being at church. I love thinking about the church. And it really happened for me in seminary. I was given the opportunity to be a pastoral assistant at First Baptist Church in Durham, Durham, North Carolina. And it was there, having grown up in church my whole life, but it was there for the first time in this multi-generational church. I just fell in love with church. I knew I was called to the ministry. I thought I might be a missionary. I didn't know what exactly I was going to do. But it was there I decided I want to give my life to the church. When I saw how a healthy, functioning church works and grows people, I thought I want to give my life to this. I say that to tell you, I love going to church. I love preaching. I could preach three times a week, I'd be happy. But I know this, more church doesn't always mean more spiritual growth. You know as well as I do, there's a lot of people that got a lot of church in them that don't have a lot of Jesus in them. There's a lot of people who attend a lot of programs and are not making a lot of progress. It is possible to come here on Sunday morning and Wednesday night and be involved in all the things that we do and yet make very little spiritual progress over the course of your lifetime. So, so that causes me as a pastor to say this, okay, 
My goal is not just to plan more programs and events and beg you to come to them, which the more we plan, the more I'm going to have to beg you to come to them. What if instead of that, we just had a clear and simple pathway in which we said to you, here's what it means to grow and here's the environments that we've provided for you so you can grow so that everything I invite you to is something I believe is important for your spiritual growth and you understand that. This is the role of the church in your life, to to grow you towards maturity, to help you make spiritual progress. And that's the goal of everything we're talking about. The purpose of everything we've been doing the last couple of weeks, this week, and the next two weeks is to put together a very clear understanding of how it is as a church we're going to grow people into being mature disciples of Jesus Christ. The goal is clarity and simplicity. Now, I showed you uh, a few weeks ago that we put together this new logo, and the goal of that is not branding. I don't care about branding. The goal is not that we might look trendy in the community. I don't care if we look trendy in the community. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of churches that are going to do a lot of that better than we are, and I'm fine to not win that battle, okay? I want to win the battle over loving Jesus, but I don't care about that. But listen to this. This matters because of this. This logo exists to communicate to you everything that we do as a church. The goal is for you to be able to sit down with someone, take a pen and a piece of paper and say, you see this logo? Let me tell you what it means and how it describes everything we do as a church. So we talked about our mission. Our mission, very simple. Our mission is leading people to trust and follow Jesus. That's it. And you take out the inner arrows of that logo and there it is. That's the mission. Everything is centered on Jesus Christ. We are a Jesus church. We are a Jesus people. Everything we're doing is leading people to trust and follow Jesus. So if you've never known the Lord this morning, our mission for you is to lead you to trust and follow Jesus today. Start today. If you've been walking with Jesus for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, our mission is still the same. We want to keep challenging you to trust and follow Jesus Christ. Because every single morning, you got to wake up and decide, I'm going to trust and follow Jesus today. In every circumstance, in every situation, in the good and the bad, you make a decision Will I choose by faith to trust and follow Jesus? That's our mission. That answers the question, what? What is it we're doing here? Now then we have to answer the question, how? How is it that we're going to accomplish that mission? And the answer is our discipleship pathway. So those outer designs on that logo communicate what we believe it takes for you to make spiritual progress. We have said it this way. Our pathway is to equip people to live a life I talked about that all last week. Equip you to live a life, an inward life, I mean an upward life of worship, an inward life in community, and an outward life on mission. That's it. So you take those outer little symbols and we say, well, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, it means this. You must be growing in your upward life of worship. You must be growing in your inward life of community. You must be growing in your outward life on mission. And you say, well, pastor, why why those three areas? Well, the answer is, is because that really summarizes what it means to walk with Jesus. I feel like this is the kind of simplicity that we need and the kind of simplicity that Jesus gave. Is there more to following Jesus than this? Yes. Is there less to following Jesus than this? No. Like at the very core, what it means to follow Jesus is your upward relationship with him and developing that and cultivating that. 
and life in the community of believers and cultivating that life and life in relationship to the nations and to your neighbors and reaching them for the gospel. You know, this is exactly what Jesus told us. In Matthew 22, verse 40, religious leaders come to Jesus and say, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Now, this is a big deal because in the Old Testament, there are 613 commands. Jesus says this. He says, all of those commands can be summarized in these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, listen, he's not saying those two commands replace every other command in the Old Testament. What he's saying is those two commands summarize every command in the Old Testament, meaning that you can take any of the 613 commands in the Old Testament and you can put them into one of these two categories, your relationship with God and your relationship to others. What did Jesus do? Well, he summarized this for us. And then you turn to the New Testament, and there's 1,051 commands, direct commands in the New Testament. You say, well, what do I do with all these commands? Well, I can tell you they can be summarized in, in, in these two, loving God, loving others. And then we add to that the Great Commission, which is taking the gospel and the reality of what Christ has done in our life and spreading that to the ends of the earth and you have the three things we're talking about. I just want to make sure you know, I didn't come up with anything here. Like, this is, not, this is nothing new. This is the great commandments and the great commission. It is a summary of the Christian life. But here's the deal. I just feel like, again, we have taken something that Jesus intended to be fairly simple and made it more complicated than it needs to be. And you will open your Bible and you will find command after command after command. And those are good and right and everyone must be followed. What I want to say to you is we want to summarize it in these three areas because that's exactly what the New Testament does. And our goal is not only to bring clarity and simplicity, but to align every ministry in our church with these three parts of our discipleship pathway. So that we can say, no matter what you do and what program you're involved in in our church, we can assure you it is leading you in one of these directions. We want to clarify what it means to make progress. We want to align all of our ministries with that and make sure we have specific environments for you to grow in these areas. So let's take a few minutes this morning and walk through those three parts of the discipleship pathway, okay? The first one is this. And by the way, we put those in your bulletin for you. You see that? Because uh, some say I talk too fast. I don't buy it, but uh, all of that is in your bulletin. The first one is this, an upward life of worship. An upward life of worship. And let me, let me just give you a word to put there. On your bulletin where it says an upward life of worship, put the fuel of discipleship. It's just a good word picture to help you understand. Worship is the fuel of discipleship. Everything flows from this. I'm looking forward to the men's conference this weekend, and I've got a lot on my heart, and one of the things I'm going to be sharing is this simple idea that it doesn't matter what it is, everything is flowing from the presence of the Lord. Everything starts here. There will be no progress without your intimacy with Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do we define worship? This way, responding with all we are to the revelation of God. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. We're going to talk about this a lot in the coming weeks and years. But there are two key words there to worship. Worship is receiving revelation and responding. Revelation and response, that's the basics of worship. In order for there to be worship, there must be revelation. 
God must communicate himself to us. And then as God communicates himself to us, we receive his communication and we respond. Listen, and the act of receiving revelation from the Lord, receiving his word, and then responding to it, that is worship. That is what it means to worship the Lord. It means all of me, my mind, my will, my emotions given to Jesus Christ. Receiving from him revelation and responding to him. You know, my favorite picture of worship in the New Testament is one that you might not think of as worship. It's in Matthew chapter 1 in which Jesus is calling his disciples. What happens is this. Some of John's disciples, they see Jesus coming and they say this. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They see Jesus and they acknowledge who he is. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is the promised Son of God who has come. And what is their response? Their response is that they followed him. Listen, that is a picture of worship. You see who Christ is, you acknowledge his worth, you acknowledge what he has done, and in response to that, you give yourself to him. That is what it means to worship the Lord. One of my kind of pastoral pet peeves is when you go to a church and someone comes up and says, well, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to have a time of worship, and then we're going to hear a sermon. As if once the music is done, the worship is over. I'm glad we've got worship out of the way. Now let's hear a sermon. We're not sure why we do that. Because the worship's done. I'll never forget Ryan and I have a a good mutual friend named Brian Jones. He was a worship pastor for me years ago. And uh, he came to my office right as he had began his ministry with me. And I needed to make a change right before the service. And I said, man, I I need to make a little change. And I I didn't know him well. I wasn't sure how he was going to respond. And he said this to me. He said, you're the worship pastor. I'm the music facilitator. What he was meaning is this. Listen, all of this we do is worship. Like I'm leading the music and that's a part of the worship. But this whole thing is worship right now. Preaching is worship. If in preaching you get revelation from God, which is not true in every sermon everywhere. You don't need revelation from Josh. You need revelation from God. The word is open. The word is preached. You're hearing it. You're receiving it. And you're responding to it. And if this morning you hear the word and respond to it, that is worship. Receiving, responding to the revelation of God. Now, can singing be worship? Absolutely. If in singing, the words that we're singing are revelation from God. That is the word of God. They are true words from God. And as we hear it, we are responding with our mind, with our will, and with our emotions to that revelation. You say, Pastor Josh, why is it that at times you, you raise your hands in worship? Well, it's because I'm responding to revelation. Man, I, I, everybody doesn't have to do it this way. It's just, man, when I hear about the worthiness of God, then I, I want to give myself to that. Like, I want to respond to that. And it may not be that you respond with your hands, but during the music, there is some response with the mind and the will and the emotions to what is being revealed to us. And only when we're responding to that, engaging with the music, engaging with the sermon, is that actually an act of worship. This is why Paul says in Romans 12:1 that laying your life on the altar before the Lord, giving your life as a living sacrifice, that is your service of worship. Worship is a life that is lived in response to the revelation of God. 
So what's our goal as a church? We want to teach you how to live that way. We, that's it. We want to teach you how to be constantly receiving revelation from God and then living your life in response to that, not once a week, but every single moment of the day. You say, well, how is it that we're going to do that? Well, well, here's the deal. We're then creating environments in which that can happen. And if you've gotten one of these blue booklets, we talk about this over and over. So here's what we're saying. Follow with me. We're saying, okay, what it means to walk as a disciple of Jesus, first of all, starts with my worship. I've got to be receiving from the Lord and responding. So Sunday morning is one of those environments. What's the purpose of Sunday morning? To help equip you what it means to live a life of worship. We have Wednesday night discipleship classes. What's the purpose of those classes? Why do we have those? To teach you to live a life of worship, to be receiving something from the Lord and knowing how to respond to it. That, that's where it fits in. Some of you have heard about some discipleship groups we're doing, and we're in a little bit of an awkward moment right now because we're training some people in how to do this, and it really won't be until the following months and even next year when we have enough people for everyone to be in. But what is a discipleship group? It's reading your Bible every day, and writing down what the Lord said to you and responding to it. Why? Because that's worship. That's worship. So because we know that you need to live a life of worship, we're going to create environments that help you in that. So you say, why do I need to come to Sunday morning? Because you need to learn to live a life of worship, and that's what we're doing here. We're not just doing it. We are. We're equipping you to do it. A life of worship, it is the fuel of discipleship. The second one is this. An inward life in community. An inward life in community. I would encourage you, you put fuel by worship. Put context by community. Community is the context of discipleship. It's, it's this where it really gets down to it. It's easy, well, easier to be a follower of Jesus all alone. But all of a sudden when you get with other people and have to learn how to love with one another and bear one another and be humble before one another, things get a little bit more complicated, right? I mean, marriage is easy until you get married. Am I right? Christianity's easy until all of a sudden you got to start putting in practice what it means to put everyone above yourself and to humble yourself. This, the community is the context in which we work this out. This is when we realize we're not gifted the way we think we are. Our mama always told us we were good at that, and all of a sudden you get in a church and someone tells you, you're not. That's why you need a church. And then maybe there's something you never knew you were good at, and someone watches you and they go, Brother, sister, do you realize you're really gifted in this area? It, it is in the context of the church in which we're growing as disciples. This is exactly what Ephesians 4 is telling us. God calls you individually. He then puts you in the context of a local church where in that church you are growing so that the church as a whole might grow. We're going to talk about this a lot next week, but the church is a body. And if you're a part of the body, you must be an active functioning part of the body within the context of the local church. The church is a family, and a Christian without a church is like a child without a family. You can't be a part of the body unless you're an identifiable part of the body. What are you, and what are you doing, and what's your place, and what is your place in the family of God? You see, how do we, how do we define community? It's this, and I could spend an hour talking about this. I'm not, but I could. This definition comes straight from what the Bible talks about in community. It is this, sacrificially participating in the lives of others. Sacrificially participating in the lives of others. What does it mean to walk in community? It means that you are sacrificially giving yourself 
for the benefit of other people. You're giving yourself. So what we know is this. You cannot grow as a follower of Jesus Christ unless you have life and community. I could make, I could give you 20 verses for that, but that's the truth. Ephesians 4 is clear. So you know what, you know what my responsibility as a pastor is? Listen, my responsibility is to make sure you have some environment at this church that helps build your inward life in community. You say, what are those environments? Well, let me give you two. The first one is service. Service and volunteering. You're a part of the family. You're a part of the body. You must have an identifiable place of service. That's what it means to be a part of the family. I mean, you know what it's like when mom and dad are doing all the chores and the kids are sitting around and you say, oh, hold on, this isn't working quite right, right? We all live in this house. Matter of fact, you all made that mess. And we're all gonna work together in a family. I feel like many of us might have been raised in those families and then got to church and thinks the church works the same way. We're all a part of the body. We're all a part of the family. So all of us, because we love community and because we believe that we grow in community, are giving ourselves to serve. But the second environment is this. It's, it's Sunday school. Now, I need you with me. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Listen to this. I've heard uh, people saying, just kind of here and there, boy, I tell you, you better wait. Pastor Josh about to make some big changes to Sunday school. Well, um, if you know what those are, I would love to know. So that would be super helpful for me. Listen. Listen very carefully. My desire for our Sunday school as we move forward is, first of all, to, to say that they're community groups, not just to change titles. I hate when a new pastor comes in and just changes all the titles to change the titles. Because by calling them community groups, it tells you their purpose. So I have to find a way to get you in a community. I have to find a way where you're sacrificing for others, where you know people, where you are known by other people, where you're engaged in other people's lives. And listen, I'm glad you've come here in this big group, but that's not gonna happen in this room. No one's gonna know you in this room. Someplace, someone has to know you. So listen, historically, Sunday school has been about school. I come and I get schooled, right? I come and, and I sit and I listen. And basically what you do in a little bit of a smaller venue, do exactly what we're doing right now. But here's how I'm thinking as a pastor. Do you need to come on Sunday morning and get two of these? That's great, praise God, but I would say no. What you need to get on Sunday morning is one of these where someone is standing here and preaching the word to you because you need that. But what you also need is some environment where you're gathering together with people who know when you're not there. Or who know when you're there, but you're obviously not doing well. Where you can share what's going on with your heart. I, I had a conversation with a, a long-term member of our church, Faithful Deacon. And we were talking about the fact, where it prints. Can you raise your hand and say, listen, I got a wayward child. I got a hurt. I got a pain. That's community groups. That, that's the context of that. And unless... We take our Sunday school and transition it towards that. And, and I'm not talking about anything drastic, just long-term, making these look more like that. Then what we're going to do is give you 10 environments for worship, but no environment for life and community. So what we're saying is this. We care about this. We know you need this. So we're going to ask our community groups to be giving that to be a place for community. So those are our environments for that. Worship, community. The last one is this. It is mission. An outward life on mission. We said the fuel, the context, this would be the result of discipleship. As you're walking with Jesus, as you're in community, the result of that should be this outward life of declaring and displaying the supremacy of Jesus Christ. 
And let me tell you why I use that definition. It's because supremacy means that there's nothing greater in all of the world, that it is above all, that there is nothing better. What we want to do as a church is through our life and through our words, communicate to everyone that there's nothing better than Jesus Christ. That's it. Jesus is all. Jesus is everything. I want my life to show to my neighbors that Jesus is better than anything. I want my words to communicate Jesus is better than anything. We want to share and show that Jesus is better. And we say we want you to live a life on mission because it's not simply an event. It is living moment by moment your words and actions showing that Jesus Christ is the greatest thing in all of life. And we want to spread this everywhere. We want to spread the message of the supremacy of Jesus to your neighbors and to the ends of the earth. We believe that growing disciples make other disciples. So knowing that, we have to create for you some environments that help make that happen. We have over 30 local and global partnerships, places for you to get involved right here and overseas, 30 partnerships. We're doing door-to-door evangelism on a regular basis. We're going to be doing some more later on this spring and this summer. We're going to be equipping you to reach your neighbors the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because this has to be a part of your life if you're going to grow as a disciple of Jesus. This upward life of worship, inward life in community, and outward life on mission. And the goal of all of this is simply that the glory of Christ might spread over all the earth like the waters cover the sea. That's it. That we'd be so engulfed in Christ and loving him so much that it is spreading from this place out to this community and to the ends of the earth. Listen to this and I'll be done. I, I know that all of this can seem like a lot. And I know you may be saying, listen, Pastor, this is great, but I just... I just want to come to church. What I want to say to you is, we're not satisfied with you just coming to church. God didn't call me to just get you to come to church. I'm not here to get more people to come to church. God's called me, as I told you the first Sunday I was here from Philippians 1.25, for your progress and joy in the faith. That is my calling here at Prince Avenue Baptist Church, I exist, God has called me here for your progress and joy in the faith, which means I can't simply be satisfied with us playing church. And my greatest concern for us as a church is that without something clear like this, in which we're saying, here's the areas of life to walk in, here's the environments in which to do that, that it would be possible for someone to come here Sunday morning, Wednesday night, and participate in all kinds of activities and not walk with Jesus. And that's not going to work. I love you too much. Life is too short. Eternity is too long to just play church. I just want to ask you, are you a growing disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you see progress in your life? Is there one of these areas that is void? Maybe it's the area of worship. You're not really walking with Jesus. No one knows that. You're not spending any time with Jesus. You're not in community. No one knows you here. No one's aware of what's going on. Are you on mission? Whatever it is, is this a balanced life for you? Are you a growing disciple of Jesus Christ? My prayer is that as we continue to walk down this pathway, that it would begin this morning with some of you saying, Lord, I'm in. I'm ready. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to be a growing disciple of Jesus. It starts with a decision. I am all in for the glory of Christ and the growth of this church. Listen, as we begin to walk this way and walk with Jesus Christ, only God knows what can happen with this little church and this little place for his glory. Amen.
Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.